0: Hey, friends. Welcome to my podcast, Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. In this podcast, we explore all of the totally unexpected ways life seems to change as we inch closer to midlife. Most of our episodes are geared toward women in their late 30s to early 50s, and we talk about things like relationships and sudden career changes, making space for new life goals, making peace with the past, and coming to terms with all that weird stuff that happens to our bodies as we get older. I hope you'll finish each episode feeling inspired, informed, and empowered. I'm so excited that you've tuned in, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of Midlife Plot Twists. So let's get started.
1: All right. Hey, everyone. It's Lucy Baber, and you're listening to my podcast, Midlife Plot Twists. Today, I am speaking with somebody whom I love very dearly. This is my brother-in-law, Charlie Baber, and I'm very excited for you to hear from Charlie. He's had some pretty big plot twists going on in his life recently, and I think I'm just going to like open up the floor to let Charlie introduce himself, if that's okay.
2: Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Charlie, and I am 39 years old. I'm the father of two wonderful kids. They're aged seven and nine years old. I am a youth pastor in the United Methodist Church and ordained in that church. And um, I've been in youth ministry since 2003. So it's been a minute. And I am also a web comic artist. I've been doing uh, comics online for almost eight years and a collection of my works has been published uh, just a year ago, and I'm coming up with my 350th comic this week.
1: Yay!
2: Yeah, it's pretty exciting milestone. Um, Uh,
1: Hold on, before you go any deeper, uh, tell everyone where you live, because it probably sounds weird to somebody that, uh, I am talking to a relative of mine with such a heavy accent. This is ah! this is the baber side of my life, everyone.
2: <laughs> I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <laughs> I have an accent?
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do.
2: <laughs> oh, my bad. All right. All
1: right. So Thank you for uh, leading with your age, because we are talking to people in a specific age bracket in this podcast. I guess, can you tell me what all the, tell me about the plot twists that have been happening for you? Uh, And you can go as far back as you want, or however you would like to present it. Tell me your story, please.
2: Sure. So I have been married for 16 years to an amazing woman, and that whole time, I have been a closeted gay man, and I did not for the life of me think it was ever possible for me to say out loud that I was gay. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a a Christian environment that was very closed-minded about the gay community, particularly never spoke about it. It was like a taboo subject, and therefore that which cannot be spoken of is something to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And so I, from a very early age, felt that that which was true of me, which was was something to be ashamed of. I remember vividly the first time I ever met a gay couple was at my aunt and uncle's wedding in like 1996 or 97. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, gosh, uh, close to 15 years old. And I was so thrilled to see an example of oh my gosh, here's this couple, uh, two men that are in love with each other and everyone adores them. And it's so wonderful. And then someone who I'm very close to started making gagging noises and saying, oh, isn't that the most disgusting thing you've ever seen? Aww. And so my very first ever encounter with gay people in my real life was immediately met with, a, oh, well, that's not something that I can ever live into. Mm.
1: And you were, you said you were about 15.
2: About fifteen years old, yeah.
1: Did you have a lot of clarity around the fact that you were gay at that age, or was it just kind of like how? How was that for you? How was that process? So I would have
2: never, in a million years, used the word "gay" to describe myself. Okay. At the time, I only knew "gay" to be a derogatory term, like "you're stupid." Mm-hmm. I knew that I was attracted to men, and I knew that I had not yet really known any real attraction to women, Mm -hmm. but I also knew that boys dated girls. Yeah. And so I just, because I was in this super Christian environment, I took all of that to mean that I must be really holy because I want to have sex with girls.
1: Ah, interesting.
2: So I thought the part of me that was attracted to men was like this sinful thing that needed to be contained. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I didn't
2: accept it as my identity. I saw it as this external sinful battle that I was facing. And so uh, when I went to college, I went to a Baptist college that was also pretty conservative. And there were no out people at my college. There were plenty of gay people, but none of them were out because we were all Christian and it just wasn't something you could be. Mm -hmm. So I had all these girls that, were head over heels for me because I was this really great Christian boy and I wasn't threatening in any way.
1: Yeah. You wanted to be a pastor. You were in touch with your feelings. You're a good person to talk to.
2: I was friends with lots of girls Mm -hmm. and lots of things that made me clearly gay, (laughs) but,
1: but you weren't, uh, you weren't clearly gay. Like, and that was not, that was not how you lived your life. Like, I don't feel like until you came out I don't feel like most of the people in your life secretly had you pegged, you know?
2: Right. No, I tried really hard to be as straight as possible Mm. to play the straight role. And I was, uh, incredibly homophobic. Like I was afraid of anyone that might reveal my secret, um, longings. Mm. And so I stayed from effeminate people and, um, or people that I believed were effeminate or acted gay. You know what I mean?
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I I really tried to play the role of a straight person. And I kept hoping that one day it would just click and I would fall in love with the woman. And so I did fall in love with the woman, um, my best friend. And, and I, I wasn't confused. I wasn't trying to cover anything up. Uh, She was genuinely my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I figured men marry their best friends, you know, and their best friend is, if, when their best friend is a woman, that's who they marry. Yeah. And um, it all just seemed to make sense to me as the right thing to do. And, um, but I knew that my sexual attraction was still entirely for men. Like, I, I would try to convince myself that I was bisexual. That I, you know, I liked both men and women, but that just wasn't true. Um, that was uh, my self-deception. I got married, and I knew immediately. I, you know, I waited to have sex and married because I was a good Christian boy, <laughs> and I was gay and dating only women. Yeah, um, one woman. I just, I, I figured I would be fixed of the gay thing once I got married, that it would just go away because that's kind of the promise of purity culture is, if you're not familiar with that purity I was raised in the Christian church in the 90s, uh, in youth ministry in the 90s, which really taught your sexuality was the most precious gift that you have mm-hmm. and that... um to have sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman was sort of like to treat your sex like to treat your sexuality like it was a rose that was to be just trampled upon <laughs> or yeah a piece of gum that was chewed before it was given to the right person oh or something gosh like
1: that. yes i mean you know that i am fully well versed in this whole whole thing I grew up in it too but yeah I appreciate you sharing that for it's always fascinating to me that some people didn't grow up hearing these things right <laughs> <laughs> like how lucky are you that you have like a healthy view of sexuality all you other people out there <laughs>
2: yeah well, that's kind of weird isn't it <laughs> um, so I just constantly felt shame my core being because I was at my core remained attracted to men and I was in a marriage with an incredible woman that I deep admire and respect. And on top of that, a woman who values honesty and integrity above everything else.
1: Oh,
3: absolutely.
2: Um, so for her being your authentic self is the most important thing you can do with your life. And Mm -hmm. I was not being my authentic self because I did not led on to anyone that I had attractions to men. Like it was just a total secret. And um, the older I got, the deeper I got into family life. We had kids and I it went from being like this thing that I was ashamed of to being this thing that led to deep depression and anxiety. Mm. I felt like I was living a double life. I was because um, the person that I cared for and loved the most didn't know the core of who I was.
1: Yeah. And it, yeah. it it feels like you almost set yourself up in like a catch 22 because you want, you want to let her know who you are, but right. at the same time that would have hurt her. And I know you never wanted to hurt her.
2: Exactly. And so I, I kind of describe it as feeling like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like there's this face that I put forward that everybody knew and recognized. And very few people ever knew that I suffered with depression mm-hmm. or high anxiety because I'm very good at being what people need me to be when I'm present with them. Yes. It's like my superpower and my super weakness. is I can be what you need me to be. Uh, And so uh, that turned me into a workaholic because I worked for a church that needed a savior. Mm. They needed someone that was really good at the job and completely committed to them to um, turn around. They were kind of a dying church and they wanted to turn around. And I did all the things and became kind of their hero in a way that Uh, led me into deeper depression and anxiety because I felt like an imposter. Because my denomination, United Methodist Church, um, says that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching and that they will not ordain practicing and self-avowed homosexuals.
3: Mm.
2: And so for me, I couldn't distinguish the difference between being a practicing homosexual and just being gay. Yeah. Uh, for me to be something is to practice
1: it. Well, and that's, that's really the core of a lot of religious teaching. It's mm-hmm. like you like there's the the practicing, but there's still that like underlying like, and if you think it, then it's a sin. And if you feel right. it, then it's a sin. Um, and yeah, I think that it really doesn't set a lot of people up for living their best authentic life, does it? <laughs>
2: Right if just the very thought of something makes you this evil sinner that doesn't belong in the church, then um, we're all just gonna lie about what we're thinking about. Yeah, It, it, it leads to inauthenticity.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're living you're living with this depression and anxiety and this responsibility on your shoulders to kind of hold it all together not just for your family, but for you, for your church community as well. And, and for your career, basically. And, you know, it's not my intention to go into all the details, but like, what were the feelings, I guess, that led you to decide, like, now is the time to change all of that. And how, tell me about that process, however you're comfortable sharing that.
2: Yeah, sure. A year ago, I I took my wife to Maine, which was a life goal of ours, like a bucket list sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, to celebrate our 15th anniversary. And we've been through so many changes in our lives. She changed her career. And I just, my admiration for her grew and grew and my sense of pride for who she was as a human being was constantly deepening. And I realized that I was keeping from her the core of my being from a person who is the most authentic person I know. and. That if I were to, that I was being inauthentic in saying I love you to someone that I wasn't willing to share my deepest self with. Yeah, and it was absolutely the most terrifying thing I've ever done, and I was dreadfully afraid that telling the person I loved the most my deepest truth would lead to the end of my marriage. Hmm. And even, and I'm still talking about like I was not willing to say I was gay. I was still saying I was bisexual. Mm. and so I did about a year ago this time I finally came out to my wife but I came out as bisexual and I desperately hoped and believed that that this was the truest I could be and that this was the start to a deeper intimacy and a deeper knowing of each other but she asked all the right questions which she always does she's Mm. brilliant Mm. she's so brilliant
1: and um I love her. You're right. She's like, and I don't think I'm getting the sense that we're not saying her name here, but uh, my sister-in-law is everything Charlie says she is. She is so laser sharp and will always see through your bullshit (laughs) in the most loving and like insightful way. So you're spot on.
2: Yes. And she asked me the question that I had always been too afraid to ask myself And that was, was she the only thing that made me bisexual? Mm. In other words. um,
1: Damn, what a good question.
2: (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I immediately knew, yes, yes. If I wasn't married at this stage in my life, as self-aware as I am compared to how aware I was of myself as a 23-year-old, I would only date men. And um, Mm -hmm. I would not even take a second glance at dating a woman. Like it wouldn't cross my mind to date a woman at this age in my life. Hmm. And I was like, oh shit, that means I'm gay. <laughs> that means I'm not bisexual.
3: <laughs> wow.
2: And so on December 12th of last year, I said out loud for the first time in my life that I am gay. Hmm. And so my, my therapist said, you need to mark this as your coming out day. Wow. Uh, like my therapist probably knew for two years before that I was gay but um, you know how therap- a good therapist doesn't just tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's, um, been, it's been a journey since, and like I said, we don't have to go into all the details and all the, the timeline and all of that, but um, get me caught up because you've had a lot going on since then, specifically in the past week. Can we talk about that?
2: Yes. So I have slowly been coming out to people uh, since that event. Um, to first to my closest friends and family, eventually to extended family and colleagues and acquaintances and friends. And by the time it was um, late summer, everyone that I cared about the most knew, Mm
0: -hmm. including your kids,
2: including my kids. I came out to my kids in late summer, early fall. And um, it was just such a relief Mm -hmm. that so many people that I always was worried would stop loving me if they knew. Um, So many people surprised me with their love. Hmm. And so it's really hard to describe this to a straight person, but I felt absolutely like I was ready to come out publicly, to make a public proclamation that I am gay. Mm -hmm. And the reasons behind it were multi multitude. I wanted to do it first for me, because I had lived in so much fear and shame for so long that I needed to, and now that I knew the people that I loved the most supported me and loved me just as I was, I needed to fully own it and not be afraid anymore. Who knew
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I couldn't let the unknowns dictate my fear or my bravery any longer. Um, And then I owed it to my wife and my kids um, my wife who, um, it's been very hard for us. We separated in June and we've tried to figure out how to be friends through this and, and we're still trying and it's, there's just so much pain and so much sense of loss, uh, but, but I owe it to her. To be my most authentic self, because that's what she's always been to me. And in many ways, she proved to me the importance of being my most authentic self. Mm. And to my kids, I want them to never live as long in fear as I lived. Absolutely. And so for me, it's very important that they know from an early age, the truth about me and I mean, there's always more truth for them to discover. And so I want to, in age-appropriate ways, constantly be working with them to help them understand their dad and their mom and um, and in so doing, understand themselves. Um, But also there's this real sense that I never knew any gay people that that anybody loved and respected growing up. I just, it was taboo. And so it's really important that people... Be out um, because visibility matters, and it it conveys to um, people who are still closeted. Oh my gosh, that person is gay like me.
3: Mm-hmm. That
2: person is queer like me. That person is different like me. And um, look at that person's life. I I might be able to do this too.
1: Yeah. So you've been wanting to to come out, and yet you're in this difficult position with your career. That, yeah, no that not only not only your career, but also like wanting to respect the pacing of the comfort level of the people that you care about as well. Like there's there's a couple of different aspects that came into play that prevented you from shouting it from the rooftops in June or whenever.
2: Yes. So I I finally um we came to a place in a position where my wife was comfortable with me coming out more publicly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not just my story, you know it's her story too. And in a sense, it's, it's my kid's story and it's it's not it's not just one person's story to tell. And so um, we kind of worked through what it means for me to come out in a public way. We agreed not to do a Facebook announcement, although it's okay if people find out through like this podcast or <laughs> through other things that get shared on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But it is, that, that's different than me making a, a formal post on Facebook, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: And I came out to my church with a letter that I wrote to the church that then we emailed to everyone in the church. Mm-hmm. And it was a process. I came out to the leadership of the church first, and I came out to my bishop and my district superintendent, people who are responsible for me outside of the church where I work people who are responsible for my destiny in the denomination mm. and uh, at each step was receiving support. Um, people who knew my story and who saw my gifts for ministry and said, um, we want to work with you to make sure you can stay in your job and in the church and doing your ministry.
1: Well, let's and, back up a second, uh, yeah. just to clarify, because I obviously, am related to you. So I I um I didn't grow up in the United Methodist Church, but I'm aware having heard stories from you over the years, like the United Methodist Church is as a larger denomination not in a place of support for the gay community, but right. or gay individuals. But there has been over the past couple of years some I don't know what you would call it, conflict, disagreement of not Major every conflict. single yeah, not every single church building and community agrees with that larger stance Um, and I know that there's been a lot of discussion around what do we do with that as a denomination Um, but my bigger question underneath that is when you came out to the leadership at your specific church did you know that you were going to be supported before that or was that how did you experience that decision and and how did that go?
2: Sure. So um, the thing about coming out is even people that you think will be supportive, you never really know until they show support.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure.
2: And so there's always this level of fear in um, coming out, um, even to people that you think or assume might be supportive. So I was like terrified coming out to the leadership of my church, even though our official stance as a church is that people of any sexual orientation can hold any position of leadership in our congregation. Gotcha. So the church is officially affirming, but they have never had anyone that was LGBTQ plus in any leadership position.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So I would be testing their beliefs. Gotcha. And so there was a real sense of, Okay, well this is what this church says, but we're about to put their money where their mouth is. And so, I was overwhelmed with a positive response from them and um and, and they backed me up in the letter that I sent out to the church. The leadership included a letter as well that says that they supported me. And so, um I spent the day on Friday um, receiving just letter after uh, email after text after email of members from the church community supporting me and affirming me and telling me that they loved me and that they were thankful that I was here at our church as their youth minister.
3: Mm.
2: And it was just really not the typical church response, you know. Mm. Um, So many people in the gay community have been so destroyed by the church. And I just was really lucky and blessed to um, to be here at this time in my life in this particular congregation
1: can we hash that out just a little bit? Um, I wanted to ask how, like, were there any standout messages that you will remember, like specific people that you knew um, maybe surprised you with their support or words that people sent that stuck out to you?
2: So um, the one that stuck out to me the most was from a person that Uh, is more conservative on these sorts of issues Mm. and that I did not, I did not know how to anticipate his response, but he's one of my leaders. So someone that works closely with me and he wrote me and said that he was also a person of divorce and that he knew how painful separation and divorce was. And he wanted me to know that he loved me and accepted me. And that he was here for me through the pain of my separation and divorce. And there, there were lots of people that acknowledged that this is not like a, there's not one emotion tied to this event. Yeah. But his, his text message to me more than any other conveyed that sense that somebody really saw, if that makes sense, somebody really saw the intricacies of what, I'm going through and what my family's going through. Yeah. And um, that really spoke volumes to me.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And we, you and I have talked about how, yeah, it's not just one emotion. There is a great sense of celebration. I feel that for you. I feel a lot of uh, joy and uh, excitement watching you kind of become more fully yourself, but it's also like, Loss, deep loss, and and disappointment, and having to kind of like hang some dreams up on the shelf.
2: Yes, uh, because I'm gay, I can quote Beyonce. <laughs> um, Please do. <laughs> I, the the song "Sandcastles" by Beyonce is in my head all day, every day, and um, she she talks about a marriage that has failed and. Says, we built sandcastles that washed away. Mm. And um, it felt like I spent 15 years of my life trying to build something that just so much of it has been destroyed by this tidal wave of the truth. So much of what I tried to build and dreams that I had and um, hopes for a future, they're all gone at this point. And I have to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a term. I don't know how popular the term is, but, um, I'm a gay baby. So I'm a Gaby. Um, but like I am brand new, um, to this life as a gay man at almost 40 years old. Like I'll be 40 in three months.
1: Does that feel unique or do you, are you seeing that story a lot in your interactions with other gay oh men Oh my
2: gosh. I'm seeing it all over the place. There are okay. so many men that grew up just like me, particularly in the church or in secular environments where homosexuality was just taboo Mm -hmm. that are coming out at this age with kids and their marriages to women and, and just this whole, holy cow, I'm gay. And in order to to be true to myself, everything has to change. And that Mm. sucks so bad. (laughs) But it's also, there's, it seems like there's much to look forward to in that newfound freedom. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I believe that there is. And I don't know what it is. I haven't created a new bucket list. I'm not in a hurry for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just all the plans that I spent the first half of my life building are now kind of, I'm starting over. It, It feels like I'm starting over.
1: So before we started recording, we you and I were also just talking about all of this and kind of planning out what we would say. Um, and I told you I wasn't going to ask you a question at that point because I wanted to catch it on uh the podcast. Um sure. but I know that you've had a big <laughs> you've had a big weekend, but you've also had a big year. <laughs> um yeah. like with with everything that's been going on. Um I I, I wanted to ask. Like how, maybe this is too vague, but I feel like you'll get it. How are you feeling? Like what, what's underneath and what's underneath that feeling? Like, tell me the layers right now. Where are you at?
2: Yeah. Um, so I have been since June, since my separation, constantly living with this tension, this paradox of joy and grief. Mm. And that remains true even after my coming out publicly this weekend. Mm. Um, so, there is a joy in self discovery, and there is a joy and peace in and a relief in people knowing who I am mm-hmm. and me being able to work through uh, self acceptance in the face of, regardless of, other people's reactions to my news.
1: Sure.
2: Because um, not everybody has been accepting there's been a, a small number, but a few people that have just been really hurtful. Yeah. And, um, to be honest, I've blocked those people out of my life as best as I can. Cause I, I, I've spent 40 years listening to those voices and I don't need them in my life anymore. Absolutely. The grief is in the loss of my marriage. Um, the grief is in starting over in in trying to, um, create a new relationship with the person that was my person. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, I was her person and, um, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult. It's brand new territory for both of us. There's not really a rule book on how to do it. And so we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say the wrong thing and, and not be there the way the other person needs us to be there. And, um, my hope is that we just keep coming back to each other and, and trying again, mm-hmm. because we really are committed to being co-parents to our kids. I think we can do that uh, because our kids are awesome and not to toot my own horn, but we're pretty awesome. <laughs> and uh, And we were the best of friends before all this happened. So leading up to my coming out publicly, I was so nervous. Oh my gosh, I was so nervous. I had like knots in my stomach.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and and I had uh, someone that I love very much um, say some very harsh things to me that were really painful and hurtful, and um, uh, and it surprised me because it was out of the blue. I had come out to this person over a month ago, and they never replied to me, mm-hmm. um, and then they, they finally replied just two days before my public coming out.
1: Timing mean, is never coincidental, is it?
2: <laughs> I know, and so I was just so afraid that I might hear that in droves. Yeah, and you just don't know what people think. And um, I mean, granted, I knew what this particular person thought. It didn't surprise me. It just was painful to hear. Well, um,
1: it was it was really ill timed. On top of that, it it, do, it, it does yeah. bring up that it's like you finally feel that like, huh. Am I it? Like, is the coast clear yet? And then all of a sudden it's a reminder that the coast will never actually be clear, but you just keep having the courage to, to be you.
2: Right. Friday morning, the letter was meant to be emailed out at 10 AM and my best friend and my supervisor, who's also a very good friend, both came over to my house and we sat on my, my patio and socially distanced and And they just came to sit with me. So I wasn't alone as the letter went out to the church. And I was anticipating it being very anticlimactic because it was like an email. Yeah. (laughs) But the whole time it felt like Christmas morning. Like I felt like the excitement of a kid on Christmas morning that people were finally going to know. And I didn't care what their response was. Hmm. Like I genuinely just wanted people to know.
1: Yeah. The gift was already given to you by you.
2: Yeah. Like I had, I had come to the point of self-acceptance where I was like, I not control how other people feel about this truth of me. I just know it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so if the truth shall set you free, then just keep living in the truth and don't, and, and trust that there will be people that don't understand. And so um, Ten o'clock came and went, and we joked and we we spent time just encouraging one another. And um, suddenly the text started coming in, and then I checked my email, and it was just my blo- inbox was flooded with emails <laughs> of person after person who supported me and showed me their love, and um, it was just really beautiful. It's what you want a coming out to feel like. Hmm. And so the continued today, uh, well, today is Sunday, the 25th, -hmm. that we're recording this. I came out our worship service at my church. And then in a sermon that I preached to my youth and my youth group. And so those were kind of the, the next steps of nervousness. But at that point, I felt so good about the way the letter had been received that I wasn't nervous anymore, that I didn't have any more jitters. Yeah. Um, And it was very well received. I had a few youth come out to me, which is part of the pride in coming out to others is is it allows other people to finally come out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You created that safe space for them.
2: Yeah. And one of them I had figured already, but another one I was completely surprised by. Hmm. And um, so it was really it was really a beautiful. A beautiful event. Uh, by the time it airs, I will have come out through my webcomic, um, my online comic strip. I have a, my 350th comic is me coming out. Mm-hmm. And so that will be a lot more public because it's beyond my church community. Um, and I have a pretty large audience.
1: And it's a very religious audience.
2: <laughs> a very religious audience. Yes.
1: Maybe you should just like, remo- like let everyone know what the webcomic is real quick.
2: Sure, it's uh, WesleyBros.com, and um, I draw a comic about the founders of my denomination, John and Charles Wesley, as if they were alive in today's world. Hmm. And it has—I've been drawing it for eight years, and it's really resonated with a particular audience in helping people talk about what they believe in the world today in a way that it seems that other people aren't helping them talk about. Um, so I seem to be creating a voice for a particular group of people. Yeah. And and so the majority of my audience, I think, will be very affirming.
1: And you've really laid uh, a lot of that foundational work through your comic over the years, because you haven't straight like you haven't been scared to talk about tough topics in that comic, right?
2: Right. Right. I, I've talked about some pretty tough topics. I I regularly address black lives matter and um lgbtq issues mm-hmm. and um i think at this point if people don't get it then they need to just read another comic strip
1: <laughs> what are they doing <laughs> 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 they just keep coming back hoping that you'll like suddenly take a turn for the for the conservative
3: <laughs> right <laughs>
1: <laughs> well that i mean that's super exciting i okay i have Three more questions for you. Uh Um, And I'm telling you that because I know you and I could talk for hours, but uh, for the purposes of the podcast, we'll keep it to these three questions and they're Mm -hmm. big. So don't worry. Um, So speaking on the, the topic of your webcomic and, and your career um, I'm curious, has this past year changed your faith and and if so, like, tell me about that. What, what have you, what have you been learning? That's
2: a great question. So
1: um, yes, it has changed
2: my faith, but in um, a way that has drawn me closer to the faith than I think I've been in a long time. Mm. Um, I spent so much of my life praying for God to change me and make me straight mm. that I kind of, i come to believe that God didn't really care about me. God must care about everybody else, but God wasn't willing to change me.
1: Wow. Um,
2: the power of all this stuff we preach about Jesus um, must work for other people, but it's not true for me. Mm-hmm. Finally accepting that I'm supposed to be gay, that it wasn't something to be taken away from me, has really changed how I look at um, who God is. And it, seeing my gay self as a gift seeing gayness and homosexuality as a gift has completely changed my belief in God to be so much more full mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I love being gay. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. And I'm saying that as a single celibate gay man, um, <laughs> like I love it. I, I, I really like who I am and I'm really thankful for it. And I'm thankful for the gay community that I've been meeting, um, for over the last few months and um it's it's something to be celebrated so like I never ever thought that I would be like a gay pride kind of person like I was so closeted that I never thought I never thought that I would um like own a rainbow shirt for instance (laughs) and now I own a rainbow shirt and a rainbow stole for my robe when I'm in a preaching role
1: yes Um, and you can finally wear it
2: I can wear it. I just wore it. Yeah. This week for the first time. That's amazing. um, I wore my rainbow shirt on my Instagram post. And so now people on Instagram know, and um, (laughs) no, I just, um, my faith is growing and I I am trusting more of the things that I've said. I've believed for so long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Follow-up question. I I said I was going to have you ask you three questions and now I'm like, but I have so many more. Uh, Follow-up question to that, you and I have spoken briefly about some of the amazing other resources that you've been stumbling upon or maybe knew about, and we're just now talking about it. Uh, In case anybody else is in that same similar wrestling with faith and sexuality kind of spot, can you quickly give a couple shout-outs to some of the resources that have helped you uh, wrestle with, like, what does the Bible say versus what, uh, how do I interpret that?
2: Yeah. So, um, my first is a podcast and a website called queer theology. Yes. Uh, queer theology.com and a An um,
1: friend of mine.
2: <laughs> yeah. A friend of yours, uh, father Shay Kearns and, um, Brian G. Murphy do a fantastic job every week on their podcast and their website of, um, they, they go through the lectionary text, with this, which is a standard reading of scripture that most of the church goes through week after week. Mm-hmm. They Queer the text. They li- they just read the scripture and talk about it from a gay perspective. Hmm. And um, I love it. It's so good. I'm actually enrolled in one of their courses right now on transgender theology. Awesome. Which is very eye-opening for me right now. Um, I also highly recommend Shameless by Nadia Bolts Weber. Yes. It's a book and um really, just Shame. like
1: we all want to follow Nadia Sweber around and just like be her followers
2: yes <laughs> just, just follow her wherever she goes <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: pretty much <laughs> go ahead
2: um and also a book called Beyond Shame by Matthias Roberts that came out this year and it's um he's a psychologist whatever. Cool. he's a, a therapist mm-hmm. um who has done a lot of research in purity culture and helping people move past purity culture to come out with their own sexual ethic that is rooted in their faith, um, later in life. It was really valuable read for me because it, it doesn't dictate what your sexual ethic should be, Mm -hmm. but it helps unpack the purity culture, sexual ethic, and then give you parameters for how to develop your own sexual ethic uh, after post uh, or post purity culture
1: that's amazing awesome um, I also wanted to just ask quickly I believe and you can correct me if I'm wrong I believe when you shared the language that you used to come out to your kids um, you you used some faith-based language was that correct can you tell me quickly about the language that you used and how that was received by your kids so
2: I told my kids. I, I first kind of said that they have seen uh, gay people on television. Okay. Um, but what they didn't know was that their daddy is gay. Oh. And um. And then of course my son was like, "What's gay,
1: Dad?" <laughs> and
2: um. And so I had to kind of answer that question. And um. And to a seven-year-old, you can't talk about attraction because that word means nothing to them. Yeah. And and so the, what I had said was, um, God designed me so that I would best be loved by a man, another man.
1: That's beautiful.
2: And so I, 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 but then I felt like it was necessary that I define the term straight for them so they don't think that just gay is this anomaly of a thing. And I said, yeah. when a person is called straight, it means that God designed them uh, to love someone who is a different sex than them. So if it's a man, then they fall in love with a woman.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And so, um, you know, then my daughter asked the question, well, then why'd you marry mom? I was like, well, it's complicated.
1: And you left Uh it at that.
2: (laughs) I I gave a better answer than that, but I can't remember exactly what it was. (laughs) I, I just emphasized that I did love their mother. And that it was very difficult for us to break up. Mm. Uh, Break up was words that they could understand. Yeah. And that I was working towards um, being who God made me to be.
1: Ah, that's so good. I love that. Yeah. I I really, I'm excited for people to hear that. Because I imagine that there are people who will listen to this who either are struggling with a similar life situation or know somebody who is particularly because I grew up in a very conservative church background as well so I know that my audience may or may not still have some very conservative people sticking around and they're gonna have questions about like how can you be a gay pastor basically and I think that that's I, I trusted you to come on this podcast to be able to kind of start that conversation for them um, and I sure. hope that they'll look into some of those other resources that you mentioned as well. Um, yeah. Cause I think that's really important. I don't know that like enough church going people are, are understanding that like we can change that conversation.
2: Right. So the way that I talk about it is um, and, and it's all a matter of how you read scripture and what is the point of the Bible.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for me, the Bible is something that points us towards The future towards God's intent for creation. Hmm. Um, Or you can look at it as a backwards looking thing, like I'm looking back towards we have to all fit this perfect mold of what the Bible once said. Mm -hmm. Um, But I tend to believe the Bible is pointing us towards God's future. And in my denomination, we talk about fruits of ministry, which means how is what your life is doing, like what is it producing? Mm -hmm. What is your life producing? And so for me, um, what are the fruits of my life producing as a gay man? Um, they're producing a culture of, uh, teenagers who are genuinely loving and accepting one another and who are coming to love Jesus Christ Mm. and, um, who are, who are seeing that the church doesn't have to be a place that excludes people. Um, and, and so I've been really blessed that, the people in charge of me see those fruits of my ministry and agree that I am bearing fruit as a gay man, mm-hmm. and that um, they can't deny that the Holy Spirit is at work in what I'm doing. Mm. And so, um, the, the the problem with my denomination is they don't let gay people have a chance to begin with. Like, the only reason I got a chance tended to be straight for so long. Yeah. Um, and so, my hope is that they'll see oh, this guy was gay this whole time. And he'd look at all the fruits and ministry he produced. Hmm. Um, maybe we should think twice about letting gay people be in ministry if they can actually do good things in this world.
1: That's so, yes. <laughs> That's so fascinating to me, hearing you talk about it from that perspective. Um, a lot of people in my current life don't necessarily know that I originally went to college to be a youth pastor all those years ago and the church that I uh, was affiliated with the college that I attended didn't allow women to serve in the ministry and yet uh, the college was still very happy to take my money as um, somebody trying to become a youth pastor. So that's interesting to me that, uh, that you had that opportunity to kind of fool then in a way (laughs) that's not what we're talking about at all but like isn't that fascinating (laughs) that you had this chance to kind of live um in a way that was that can now prove to them no like that idea is not accurate that like look at all the good I've done because I had to play by your rules and now I'm ready to show you that I can keep being as loving and helpful and Ministry focused in the church and also live my authentic self, live as my authentic self. I think that's that's an amazing opportunity, and not a lot of people will have that chance to kind of prove that point. If that makes sense. Right. It's an amazing opportunity in the sense that you had to lie for years and years. But to look at it from (laughs) that, from that one very specific lens, it's an interesting idea, but also. I'm not advocating for that at all.
2: <laughs> no, please. Now, come out, come out, wherever <laughs> come, you are. Yes,
1: come out, live, live your best life. Um, which leads me to my next question, which was one of those three that I originally said. Well, I'm actually going to ask both of them back to back and I'm going to let you okay. filter how you want through this. Um, so the first part of the question is, if you could go back and impart some wisdom to your younger self, What do you wish that you could convey and that your younger self might have been able to hear? And the second part is what's next for you? What are you looking towards?
2: Yeah, Um, I desperately would love for my younger self to, uh, to accept that I am gay and that God made me this way on purpose.
1: On purpose. And
2: that it will be okay. Yeah that because it was made, I was made this way on purpose, it will be okay. I I spent so many years thinking that I was a mistake. And Mm -hmm. and so I just, um, I can't, I can't live like that anymore. And I would love for my younger self to have been convinced that I was made this way on purpose. Hmm. Um, so what's next is I'm, I'm going to be pretty much fully out starting from here on out. And, um, and I'm accepted in the places where I work and the places where I have friends and family. And uh, hopefully what's next is finally feeling what it feels like to just do good work without fear of judgment, to feel what it feels like to be who I am without worrying Um about people knowing who I am, about whether they think it's gross or um, wrong. Because at this point, I guess I don't care if they think that anymore. Yeah. um, I don't know if that's the blessing of of becoming a middle-aged person as you start caring less about what other people think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's hard for me to imagine that as a younger person.
1: But let's like let's contextualize that because sure. what you're really saying is not so much that you don't care what other people think, it's that you have already formed this incredible community around you that like yes. the you recognize now that the rest are outliers.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I anyone who has a problem with who I am at this point is somebody that I can do without.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and you you will be held by the rest of the people who love you. Yes. And that, I think that does take time. I don't know that like somebody in their twenties can can recognize that fully. You need time to build that community. Um, and so I'm so happy that you have that and that that the outliers feel like outliers that in yeah. this hour that we've been talking there have been like one or two mentions of people who have not supported you. We were able to really like celebrate the yeah the, the support
2: yeah i a, a rare case in the lgbt community where the majority of the people i've come out to have celebrated with me
1: yeah and um, I'm, I'm really
2: thankful for that
1: yeah and we'll we'll hope that anyone who's listening who is about to experience a similar uh plot twist of their own will have that same yeah. experience or maybe even better exactly. I also wanted to ask quickly, uh, knowing that in the past couple years, maybe even in the past two, one year, maybe the United Methodist Church has actually taken a vote on their Mm -hmm. stance and that like, there's been a lot of discussion around that. Are you planning to step into more of a leadership role as far as the people leading the charge on making those decisions within the denomination or is that putting you on the spot too much?
2: That's not putting me on the spot. I am not going to be in any voting capacity. Like those, Mm -hmm. those have already been chosen. The people that are um, making the decisions have already been chosen uh, through our political process.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Through your church uh, political process, not- For our church political process,
2: yeah. And honestly, all that decision was supposed to have already been made this past summer, but COVID hit and we couldn't meet in person. And so um,
1: right.
2: we're just waiting till COVID goes away. So I will continue to be a voice through my webcomic um, because I have a pretty loud voice in the denomination through my comic. Yep. Um, and I will let that be my voice and um, I will trust my friends and acquaintances who are actually the ones voting to make a difference. Uh, the anticipated outcome is that our denomination is going to split Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and that the larger portion will be the portion that is accepting and affirming of LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. I belong to a church that is, um, so accepting and affirming that they're whatever happens in the larger denomination, they're going to be affirming no matter what. So, Mm -hmm. Um, I I may have to eventually decide what denomination I'm going to belong to, but I'm not worried about that because I have a job that I love and I have a community that I love. And that's where I'm going to stay. I have more loyalty to the people where I work than necessarily to some larger organization. Awesome. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm glad to hear that, that that feels like a safe place to stay. Um, before I let you go, are there any other, uh, platforms that you want to shout out that people should f- be following you? You've mentioned, let's do the web comic and any, any other like Instagram or Facebook. I don't know. What do you got? Give me your stuff.
2: Sure. Um, well you should definitely, uh, follow me on wesleybros.com. You can be an email subscriber. Um, that is my number one platform. Otherwise I'm just Charlie Baber at Instagram. Um, and, uh, don't follow me on Facebook. Cause I never post anything there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm awesome. so bad with Facebook. I stay away from it because it's so frustrating.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we could spend a whole other hour on like how the internet is just like shouting into the void in multiple platforms. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for coming on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on my podcast, brother-in-law
2: you're welcome (laughs) sister-in-law
1: yeah I'm really glad that you were able to share your story and um, hopefully it will touch other people in a meaningful way and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up hearing from people about this one in particular because I know people love to share their opinions and hopefully it's all positive and wonderful because (laughs) I feel that way about my brother-in-law that we just heard from so thank you Charlie all right great see you later guys
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Midlife Plot Twists. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and show some extra love by leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on my website at lucybaberphotography.com or on Instagram at LucyBaber. Thank you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to chat again soon. Until next time.